0: What's up, everyone? This is episode 120 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards, from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Podcast, and my Twitter is at PC. And a lot of you have reached out to me with feedback, or even just to say hey, and I really appreciate that. And before I get too far in today, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple that listens to the show together. Their names are Davey and Erica. And Davey messaged me this week to let me know, number one, how much they enjoy the show. And number two, that Erica is incredibly supportive of his hobby or really their hobby. And he said he doesn't deserve her. Now, I understand that Erica has had a tough year and I just wanted to make sure to say Number one, thank you so much for your support. And number two, hang in there. Another thing that Davey mentioned that they do together is that they watch the NBA playoffs. That segues well into the rest of my opening. I hope all of you guys have been enjoying the playoffs so far. I know I have. It really kills me that the Pacers aren't competitive right now. There is a title that is legitimately up for grabs. The NBA is at a really interesting spot. Maybe we'll look back and decide we were in the middle of some sort of a of a shift. I think we are. Who knows? But um, a lot of people might call the summer of 2010, um, or which was LeBron's decision, the dawn of the super team era. Although we had some pretty stacked teams in the 80s too, but. Um, there was a decade there where the final scene was pretty much a, a combination of some sort of LeBron team, be it the Heat, the Cavs, or the Lakers, um, and then the Spurs and the Warriors. So some combination of that. So no matter what roster the Pacers put together, I felt that the league was at a spot where the Pacers just couldn't win a title. And along the way, the game skewed heavily toward the three-point shot, more toward the end of the decade. Steph changed the way the game is played, but that team logged so many minutes and they made so many deep runs that they essentially broke down. And that's where an emerging Raptors team with Kawhi Leonard on a one-year deal, they swooped in, they grabbed the title from them. Um, Then in 2020, we had the NBA bubble. Yes, a LeBron team won, but it was really up for grabs. I think at one point I thought, you know what, we could have a Nuggets heat finals, which is not what anyone was predicting. Um, and now it looks like a new team is probably going to win a title this year. If your team's competitive, it's an exciting time. Think about all the players that have gone down. Um, Chris Paul just entered COVID protocols. You know, maybe he won't even miss a game. Who knows what that all entails. Kawhi has some sort of an ACL injury. James Harden is clearly is not 100%. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis are eliminated. Jokic is eliminated. The Warriors didn't make it. Um, This thing's wide open. You know, I think about it. The best NBA Pacers teams since I've been watching well, and really there weren't any good NBA versions before I was watching. They ran into Jordan. They ran into Shaq and Kobe, and they ran into LeBron. So uh, the timing is right. If your team is competitive, realize how fortunate you are. And just as a little teaser, in the last segment of today's show, I'm going to talk about a Donovan Mitchell card, and his Jazz team is one of those um, good teams right now. They've been successful on their own. I don't want to say, you know, I'm not going to say that we have to put any footnotes next to a title if they win one, but they could really benefit from being in the right place at the right time, and that's part of winning. You know, that's that's part of winning titles. So you'll want to make sure and stay tuned for that when I talk about that card. Before I get there, though, I want to recap a card show that I set up at this weekend. Um, it was a two-day show, so I have quite a bit to say, and just for context, I know I talk about you know setting up at shows. This is more of a recreational thing for me than anything, and, and some of you have been to my table at a show, so you know this, and thanks to those of you that have stopped by to let me know that you listen to the show, but... Um, I generally split a single table with a friend of mine. So this is not a big operation here. Um, and, and in some situations I'll wind up with a little more space, but that's usually what I've got. I am nothing compared to some of these full-time guys or guys with shops. So when I offer up my perspective, uh, remember, it's just that it's one man's perspective and I'll recap what I saw, but it might be different from what someone else saw and what someone else experienced that was there. Okay. So heading into this weekend, um, I don't think I'd set up at a show for a couple of months. And I I knew the market was soft. I knew I had to reprice a lot of my showcase stuff. The rare stuff fared pretty well because, you know, if there's not a lot of comps that are going to go down, it's not going to affect things much. But I found myself cutting prices nearly in half for some of the other stuff, which Um, you know, if you want to move stuff, you got to do it. I'm not desperate to move stuff, but I also want to be fair and I want to be competitive. So, um, you know, for reference, I keep my show stuff mostly in one spot, but it still takes me the better part of a day to get everything repriced and reorganized. I know lately there's been a lot of criticism for people that don't have prices marked on everything. And I'm under the belief that pretty much all cards at a show should be priced, I think it just makes things easier, but I understand why some people don't do it. One of the reasons I think if they have a huge inventory, it's just very time consuming and it's hard to keep up with. Now, this particular show that I set up at, um, it started in July of last year and it was in one big banquet hall and it outgrew that over time. And a few months ago, it expanded to include a second smaller room at the same venue And the dealers that are mainstays will always have the same spot in the main room. Like I said, I do this more recreationally. I ended up in the smaller second room again for day one. Um, I feel like this hurt my sales a little, but, you know, I'm not complaining. I understand the logistics of why and why I'm there. And it also makes it, uh, now, another thing, though, is it also makes it less likely that I'll be able to walk the floor um, as I'd like to. Because if I can't see my table, I can't really keep an eye on things. And I do have a, you know, the guy that sets up with me, I'll have him um, kind of look at things for me. But, you know, if he's selling his stuff uh, and trying to sell mine and people are making stacks at my table, at some point it's too much to to juggle. So, I, you know, I can't go too far. That's the whole point there. Um, so anyway, we get there. I get my stuff set up early in this second room. That gave me a little time to at least browse in the immediate area. As I'm making my way to the back corner, I notice a table that has two small showcases with just stacks of vintage basketball. And while there was a little bit of 86 Fleer and some 70s stuff, I'm talking old stuff. Not just 70s, old. 1948 Bowman, 1957 Topps, 1961 Fleer. Just stacks of this stuff raw and on top of the 57 stack was a clean russell i think i would have graded it at least a five if not higher if i hadn't seen it in context with the rest of the cards i would have said nope that's fake because every russell rookie that i've seen in the wild has been graded and this one was just clean um so i ended up talking with this guy for probably you know at least 20 minutes it might have been more than that who knows it's hard to keep track of time i was asking him all about his collection Um, we talked about, you know, what the things that we're into, I told him, you know, I'm working on the 57 set and, um, he was just a really nice guy. And of course I was interested in some of the cards and I started looking through the stacks and, and before I looked at them, he said, you know, there's a sticker on the back with a number, ignore these, these, those numbers are irrelevant. Um, well that's like putting a big red button in front of someone and telling them, Hey, don't hit the red button. So of course I looked at the sticker prices and they were intimidating. Now I knew he said they were irrelevant, but I couldn't help it. They were intimidating. So I didn't really engage with him about any cards at that time. And and you'll learn later, maybe, you know, I need some lessons in listening. Um, Before I left his table, though, I asked him one question. I said, you know, judging by the condition of your collection, I think I know the answer to this. But do you have any Russell rookies at your house that look like they've been run over by a truck? Cause I I can't afford the clean stuff. And, um, he said he'd have to hunt for it, but he thought he might. And I gave him my email address and hopefully that plants a seed for a future transaction. So from there, I went back to my table. Foot traffic was slower than it had been at past shows. Uh, But it was still relatively steady, and it it seemed like a lot less people were buying, though. And as far as um, a couple of interactions or deals from that first day that stick out in my mind, I had someone buy one of the Pokemon cards I unearthed in one of my lot purchases. You guys know I am not attached to that stuff at all. Um, This buyer, he was a really nice guy. He took the time to look over my binders he gave me some advice for moving the rest of them. He probably talked to me and and informed me for at least 10 minutes or so. So I ended up taking ten dollars off the price of the card he was buying from me. He didn't ask me to do that. He didn't expect that. But I appreciated the information that much. And I wanted to let him know. So that's just something, you know, kind of a um, something to keep in mind if you're setting up at a show. If someone's giving you information and, and you're asking for information um, you know, compensate them if, if the time is right. So, um, that was a great deal that went down, right? That was a great transaction of information and cards and so forth. I had another deal that was a lot more difficult to complete. So a guy comes up to my table, he makes a giant stack of cards. Of course, there's LeBron in there. There's Curry, there's Brady, right? All these guys. And he asked me to come up with the total and he walks away. So I'm sitting there with a stack of cards that are in, you know, whatever you want to call it, deal purgatory, and I, I can't really do much with them. So, um, finally I got up and tracked him down and I said, Hey, I've got everything totaled up. So he came back over, um, he took a bunch of cards out of that stack and added another one or two in. And then he asked, okay, can we do a new total now? Which that's fine. You know, that happens. Um, While I'm doing this, he walks away again. I total things up, I get up, I go find him, and I make it very clear to him, I can't hold these cards for you and sell them to other people at the same time. So I'm going to need you. So he seemed to understand, and he came back to the table, um, and he restructured the stack one more time. And, you know, okay, that happens. Um, He started to walk away after restructuring this stack. And I made it very clear that we weren't going to do business like this. Sometimes you just have to be stern. I said, if you want to do any sort of deal with me, you're going to stay right here so I can total this up and we can get this thing done. Um, and when I spoke to him in that manner, he finally seemed to get it. Um, so he stayed and, and we got the deal done. Um, now, over the course of doing some of these shows, I've got guys that I talk to that are, I guess you could call them regular customers. Even if they're not buying, they're coming over and we're chatting and, and, and we're friendly. Um, I don't know all of their names, but we always have good conversations. So um, all of the vintage guys that came to my table, you know, I said, hey, please look through my stuff first, obviously. But after you're done here, you absolutely have to go to this table in the corner and look at this vintage stuff. I said, and if you engage in any sort of a deal, let me know if the stickers on the back are as irrelevant as the seller says they are. Well, a couple people went over there and they confirmed that they were. So when things slowed down on my end, I went back over there to pick out a few things for myself. I grabbed a 57 Bob Pettit rookie and then a few low grade 48 Bowman cards If I can find the time this week, I'm going to try and make a YouTube video discussing uh, my pickups there and maybe some of my mail since I'm not going to get to that today. So you might be on the lookout for that. Subscribe to my YouTube if you haven't done so already. Okay, so that was just day one. And that's usually the only day I set up at. Um, This time though, I knew I probably wouldn't be selling at any shows in July, There is a show there in mid-July, but I don't think I'm going to be doing that one right before the National. So I decided, you know what, I will do the second day. So we get there and we start setting up in this second room again, this smaller room. And the guy in charge asked us if we wanted to move to the main room. Um, now, although we would have preferred to be in there on day one, we kind of already had everything set up and we even had a little table on the wall behind us that came in real handy. Um, wall spots are nice, right? If you want to plug your phone in or, you know, do certain things, wall spots are nice because you don't have to watch behind you. There's a lot of factors that go into a show that you don't think about until you get there. So, uh, we said, you know what, we, we'd probably rather stay here. Well, they ended up closing the second room down eventually because so many people either canceled or sold out in the first room. So, um, they said that we can put you in the hallway. Okay. So, you know, we'd been there once in, in the middle of the boom and, and it actually worked out fairly well. So we literally picked up our tables and carried them slowly because they were heavy and and full of cards and carried them slowly down the hall. And, My new spot was right in front of the main entrance, which you'd think would be a good thing because everyone has to walk by. Uh, But the problem was that's just what they did. They walked by because they were so focused on getting into the main room because I'm literally right by the door um, that, you know, it didn't even seem like, in my mind, I'm thinking it it didn't even seem like to them that I was a part of the show itself. So um, that was kind of tricky. But um, I ended up doing all right nonetheless. And there were a couple of sales or a couple of moves I made that really saved my day. And, and that's the way it is sometimes. And I've, I've probably told this story before, but um, one time I was set up at a really small show in the pre-pandemic days. There were like four dealers, no foot traffic at all. This place was dead. You, know, you can only buy from the other dealers so many times. And a couple came in that was lost. And they ended up spending a bunch of money at one table. Not mine, although they spent a little there. But then that dealer came to me and bought some stuff. Then I went to another dealer and bought some more stuff. That money made its way around the room and really salvaged the afternoon. So just know if you're at a show and it's slow, it only takes one person. And you never know who that person's going to be. Um, In fact, in this instance, it was um, a couple that came in and it was a female that did all the buying. Um, you know, the only reason I mentioned that is because if if you look at the male to female ratio at a lot of these card shows, there's just not a lot of females there. So um there were a lot of surprises about that day. Um so anyway, the the point is it only takes one person. So um I started off day number two with a good friend going through all my stuff and putting a nice little pile together. Um and as we would say, he, you know, put me on the board, right? That's a phrase that we'll use. Um Now, later on then, I had a guy walk up to my table, he thumbed through my dollar box, and he offered me a pretty generous price for the whole thing. And whenever I give people advice for setting up at shows, one thing I'll tell them is to have a price ready for their entire dollar box. Somebody tried to buy my entire dollar box at my first show, and it really threw me off. So this is great advice but it's also advice that I don't always follow. So this weekend I didn't have a price ready and it initially threw me off. I thought about it for just a couple seconds though. I, you know, I remembered, all right, think through real quick what's in that box. I looked at it. It was a really good price and we made it happen. So all in all, it was a fun two days. After taking a little bit of time to let everything soak in, I have some takeaways or talking points that I want to offer up for you guys. Um, Number one, I tried something new this show that I haven't done a lot of before, but I've had other dealers try on me when I was walking around as a customer. Every time someone walked by with a box, I asked them if they were selling or trading, and I asked to look through their stuff. Um, I ended up buying, I think, two cards this way, and one of them was a low-end Giannis rookie that I ended up moving a little later in the day. It's always nice to be able to buy something mark it up a little, move it, and not have to carry it home. That's a good feeling. Uh, number two, speaking of Giannis, I don't think everyone has quite transitioned out of the reactionary mindset that dominated the majority of the last year in cards. You you might remember I congratulated the hobby um, either last week or the week before on not buying Alec Burke's Prism Rookies, right? Right. Um, so a lot of dealers are done thinking like that, where oh a guy scores thirty, we gotta you know we gotta get him and flip him. Um, but there are still some people walking around who do think that way. So I had someone that was debating on that Giannis rookie I had, and as they were you know going back and forth, they said to me, well what if he loses tonight? And I gave my honest opinion. I you know I don't think that really matters. Um, the series isn't over and, you know, you know, he's a great player either way. And I know everyone's really down on Giannis right now, but he's still a great player. So, you know, I'd be saying the same thing if this guy asked me, what if he wins tonight? I say, well, you know, it's not the end of the series and, you know, we kind of know who Giannis is. Um, takeaway number three, I ask a dealer in the main room for his overall Takeaway of the show, and he described it with two phrases. He said, "Number one, everyone's trying to sell over eBay," um, and then number two, nobody's moving slabs or retail wax. And as far as the retail flippers go, one of my deal, one of my other dealer friends summed it up by saying, "They know everyone in the room hates them right now." Um, <laughs> in fact, I had someone walk up to my table that tried to sell me Donruss and Hoops Premium at cost right not not 2 times 3 times 5 times at cost and i politely declined um i think he hit me up on the way out too which indicates to me that he's stuck with this stuff and i think a lot of people might be in that same spot um i can't say i'm heartbroken over that um number 4 i i don't know if i said the other one was the last one it's not the last takeaway though that i have from this show is probably something I've said on here before. I think everyone needs to set up at a card show at least once in their life. Even if they split a table with a friend like I do, it lets you see things from an entirely different perspective. Even if you set up once and you don't sell a thing, the experience cost and the knowledge you gain is worth the price of the table alone. Because I've noticed there are some things I would say to dealers that probably rub them the wrong way. But I would never have realized that uh, until someone said those same things to me. And likewise, you get some perspective on why dealers price things the way they do. You get, you know, there are costs that go into setting up. um, And the fact that it's, it's just a lot of work. I'm actually more tired coming home from a card show than I am coming home from work. And as you can imagine, I enjoy the card show a lot more, but it's exhausting. So... Anyway, my final takeaway, if you ever have the opportunity to set up, I encourage you to do so. All right, before I move into the story of this Donovan Mitchell RPA, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to. Shop as planned, and the Wax Museum Podcast gets a small commission in the process. The best part is, it doesn't cost you one bit. So once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle. Grind. Spam. Profit. We're the rip gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so at some point during the week, you might have seen an image floating around uh, social media of an altered Donovan Mitchell RPA. And, um, you know, one person posted it and then it sort of made the rounds. Um, When I saw it, it was kind of presented as, now that Donovan Mitchell is doing well in the playoffs, this was bound to happen. Well, like a lot of hobby curation that's happening out there. And, and I use the term curation loosely because a lot of the time it's just straight up content theft. Um, but in in several cases that I saw this card, it wasn't really presented in context. And part of that is probably that context isn't always easy to digest. It looks at the bigger picture and social media platforms are more tailored for quick consumption. Um, anyway, that Donovan Mitchell RPA that you know, you might have seen posted, was first altered a couple years ago and has a pretty wild history. So I thought this would be a great time to jump in the DeLorean and share that story with you. Some of you were posting on Blowout when it happened, so it might be a fun trip down memory lane. The rest of you will be hearing this for the first time, and I think you're definitely in for a treat. Okay, so let's set the scene for this RPA tomfoolery, right? Here's some background that matters. Altering cards is nothing new. People have been trimming sports cards for, you know, my guess, once again, this is a guess, is the last 50 years. It's it's hard to track down a definitive starting point. I mean, there are cards out there that were literally meant to be hand cut, Um, but the whole issue definitely predates grading. And then basketball patches have been swapped in cards with some degree of regularity since the early 2000s. That doesn't mean that you know no one did it before then, but you got to think relics hadn't been out long before that, anyways. Really, uh, around '96 we got the press pass relics, and then um, you know after that we started getting the pro relics. And I've seen people ask now, why are people swapping patches out? Well, the fact of the matter is, nicer patches command a premium on the market. And no player is exempt from this. So, for example, when Ben Gordon came into the league, this was 2004, his stuff was hot. Right? He was very popular in the hobby, And I remember seeing several altered Ben Gordon relics. Um, this would have been posted on the Beckett message boards at the time. Posted around 2004 or 2005. And even though he's irrelevant in the hobby now, guess what? Those cards are probably still out there somewhere. So in November of 2018, a poster showed up on the blowout forums and created a thread titled LeBron Exquisite Number to 99 Altered and Damaged. And this quickly led to some pretty serious accusations against a basketball card dealer. Whether fair or not, this dealer, this one specific dealer, kind of became the poster boy for all things fraud at that time. And that thread got pretty wild. It went on for at least 150 pages. It's been locked. It's kind of splintered and gone off in other places since then. I won't go into too many more details right now, but you can hear all about that on episode 18. Um, So then that thread and all of the drama associated with it, in turn, became the catalyst for tons of altered cards being uncovered. Trimmed baseball cards, patches, you know, more LeBron exquisite, and so on and so on. And to say the online hobby community was put on high alert would be an understatement. I think if there was one phrase to sum up the sentiment at that time, it would be, question everything. Well, fast forward to May of 2019, and a Donovan Mitchell collector named Ross, which you might know him from Instagram or uh, from some other shows, He created a thread on Blowout titled, Alert, Fake Donovan Mitchell Patch Spotted. And I actually met Ross at the 2019 National. Um, We had interacted some on social media before then. He's always been very, uh, very kind to me. If you want to hear more about his awesome collection, I encourage you to check out episode 39 of Cardboard Chronicles on YouTube. Uh, and then also episode 22 of the Pack to the Future podcast. He's been on both of those episodes. Um, so anyway, Ross offered up a pretty convincing case that card number 6 of 99 uh, RPA had been altered, and he included before and after pictures. Um, he gave some context. He mentioned that all of the RPAs he had seen had dark jerseys, whereas the new patch had a white piece behind it. And I've talked about consistency of RPA print runs before, you know, usually the patches will be consistent. It's not always ironclad evidence, but it will generally lead you in the right direction. And that's important here. These Mitchell RPAs were redemptions that shipped out in September of 2018. So we don't have footage of the patches being pulled out of boxes by group breakers on camera. Like I said, that's one of the few good things that have come from group breaking in my mind is the fact that Uh, We've seen a lot of these RPAs being pulled on camera. So anyway, Ross created this post. And the great thing about message boards is that people can work together and figure things out a lot quicker. It's like crowdsourcing research. And after his post, I started piecing together the sales history of that particular copy. So that was my contribution. Um, Adam, the Real27 guy, looked at that information and found, found the feedback number of the last buyer, Um, So that's kind of useful because you can sort of trace the lineage, hopefully back to the person that altered the card and then blow out poster 312, which there's actually a lot more numbers in the name, but I'm going to say 312 to keep it simple. He was able to link that feedback to someone that was selling a fake Tom Brady shield. Oh, by the way, he did that in six minutes. (laughs) So Uh, 312 followed that up with some of the alleged card doctor's personal information. I'm not going to divulge all of that on here, but not surprisingly, this person showed up on blowout and they seem pretty upset about the situation. I'm going to pull just a couple quotes from his first post here real quick. He said, this is a witch hunt just because someone buys and sells collections doesn't mean he alters them, especially when cards change hands all the time. And I have no link to anyone consigning anything. And you know, there's a part of that that's true. It's one of the issues that we dealt with in the LeBron thread. If you're buying and selling on a frequent basis, you're bound to end up with a card that was altered. Even if you do your research, it happens sometimes. Um, And it doesn't have to be a major card either. I bought a $2 relic at a show once, and months later discovered that someone had touched up the edge with a black marker. It happens. Um, So no... That alone doesn't make you a card doctor, but as we're going to see in a moment here, an accumulation of other evidence could mean you're a card doctor. So um, other posters were having a lot of fun with his feedback. This guy was buying a lot of patch cards, and people were under the impression that those would be going under the knife soon. Um, so now, having dealt with some of this before, my next idea was to check and see, you know maybe he's purchased a Tony Bradley RPA because he was at the time he was another rookie with the jazz. Um, and I knew that people had been, or at least there were rumors of people taking patches from Austin rivers, 2012 RPAs and using those for Anthony Davis cards. So I thought, Hey, maybe that's happening here with the Mitchell card because Donovan Mitchell is certainly worth a lot more than Tony Bradley. Well, um, you know, I looked at the guy's feedback. I pointed out that he had purchased a lot of discounted NFL jerseys and and those patches could very well end up somewhere. They shouldn't because the jerseys were different sizes. You know, I don't like to assume, but there were some strange coincidences here. Um, In the meantime, poster 312 uncovered card after card after card that had gone through this person's hand and have somehow ended up altered. So, well, you know what? The seller didn't like that. So he came back, and it looked like he threatens legal action. He says later on that he didn't. But, um, you know, at the same time, he avoided all questions. So I tried, you know, the whole benefit of the doubt approach and basically said, okay, let's ignore all these other cards you've owned that have ended up altered. Let's talk about the Mitchell. Maybe you can help us figure out where things went wrong. Who sold it to you? Crickets. Um, he came back again and opened his next post by saying, with respect, this will likely be my last post on this spoiler alert. It wasn't, and there's not a lot to cover here, but here's a couple of quotes. Um, he said, I come here to speak for myself as a human and righteous soul, and I've done nothing wrong. Uh, later on, he said, I hope everyone lays this to rest and that the ones of you who have done wrong, not only the, the accusers, but the scammers on out there, Cease with the hate. I send blessings to all and thank you for your time, End quote. So basically, God bless. Um, now, there were some people on there that tried to be sympathetic. Some of you might know G, a.k.a. The Lucky Show. Check him out on YouTube, The Luca Show. Um, he said, perhaps the best thing to do is to repent, be it publicly um, or behind closed doors and find a new line of work. And then someone else said, okay, you know, so let us know where you got these from and, and we can go from there. And actually this request and all forms of it were clearly being dodged. Adam pointed out even that it had been requested of him um, eight different times. In silence. But then things got wild. Now you might be thinking, well, they already were wild at that point. No, then things got wild. He decided to send a private message to 312 to tell him the story of who sold him that altered patch. Well, 312 of course instantly made that private message public. I won't read the whole thing here. It's it's a pretty long message, but I'll give you the highlights and there are there's still quite a bit here even in just the highlights. So he starts off, he says, "Sir, I want to clear my name. You pointed me out and I'd like for my name to be removed from all the shadiness." I see all the trimming will lead to people losing reputations, and mine was never a bad one. I would not do stupid things like them to ruin my life. Later on, he says, at the, end of the Mar- at the end of March, there was a show here in Virginia where I'd went to get my items graded. I thought Beckett had a machine on site, but it was only the raw service. I know they don't sell for much, and I didn't want to pay twice to get it sealed via mail and at a show. After showing my items off and mingling, I left. I even sold a first off the line box I purchased to Steel City Collectibles right before exiting. After I left and went into the parking lot, someone came after me asking about the cards I had. I don't remember how many, but it was a few dozen in my backpack. He said his name was E. So I introduced myself as G. We spoke for a few minutes, and he said he was interested in grading too and that he had an eBay store and he sold items around the country. I was skeptical, but it was in the open parking lot during the day with cameras and people around, so I felt safe. He offered me money for a lot of my items, more than I paid. It was probably between what I paid and what I'd get if graded Jim, so I figured I'd take the cash and sell without the fees of reselling and grading. I had a money fraud pin, and his funds were clean. It was a good amount of money and items, but there was no indication that I should be worried. We completed the exchange after he looked over my items and paid me. I did not get more info before we shook hands, but I did keep an eye on him when he went to his vehicle. The license plate said, I am in bits, or I am in biz, or something. Maybe meaning, I mean biz, or I am bits, or biz. Unfortunately, I have no other info, but it was one person who bought many items from me. I don't know who he was. And then later on, he, he says, I'm trying to get my reputation back. I'm on here trying to be open, but many just make fun of me with judgment. You have not done so, and I've also posted my information attached to these, so please see how I'm trying to clear all this up. Uh, I'm fairly new compared to everyone, in the high-end card field, but I'm trying to make money, honestly. Um, so he closed by denying a few more things and asking for his name to be cleared. Okay, so before I get to the next bombshell, um, I want to point out something he tried to do here. He, he told this story of a parking lot deal with a guy named E. Well, this is the first initial of the dealer that was blamed in the LeBron thread in late 2018. And remember, I told you that he had somehow become the poster boy for card fraud, whether deserved or not, right? So he used the first initial of that guy. And then he said, his license plate says, I am in bits or I am in biz, um, which is a play on that dealer's last name. So it's like, he thinks, he can create some sort of a, I don't know. Have you seen um, all the president's men? Right, where you've got Bob Woodward and Deep Throat, they're smoking cigarettes and they're talking in the shadows. Um, he can make this whole scenario up with the license. You know, he just happened to see the license plate, although he had no no reason to worry earlier. Um, he can make—he can create this story or retell this story, and he thinks that three one two the best of the best when it comes to card detectives on the blowout forums is going to believe it. (laughs) So what exactly was 312's response to all of this? Well, he went back to the eBay feedback that we had all been kind of poking around earlier, and he found where a white swingman Donovan Mitchell jersey had been purchased. Um, coincidence? So, now, the seller came back and denied it again, and eventually he was banned, and this left everyone wondering what became of this Donovan Mitchell RPA. And remember, all of this transpired in May of 2019. The card disappeared from the public eye for over a year. I don't know if you can hear it behind me. There's actually thunder at my house right now, right? It's This whole thing's ominous. Um, so anyway... <laughs> the car disappeared from the public eye for over a year. Well, at least it wasn't seen online in that time frame. Then in August of 2020, Ross sent me a message on Instagram to let me know that it had surfaced again with the original patch back in it. Okay. So that's a twist, except there's another twist here except someone inserted it back into the card upside down. Um, And Ross gave me permission to make a graphic out of it. And that was the same graphic that you might've seen circulating on social media over the course of the last week. Um, That was the last that we saw of that card. So as Paul Harvey used to say on the radio, now you know the rest of the story, or at least as much as we know. Um, The person who was selling it this time was a different person. They took the card down. We haven't seen it online since. Technically, it does have the original patch in it, but it's been altered multiple times. It's pretty hard to wrap your head around what some of these people will do to make a buck. Um, A few takeaways from all this before I let you go. Number one, there is a lot of really helpful hobby history out there on the internet, a lot of it's scattered. In fact, I took all of this information from three different blowout threads. Um, A lot of these types of conversations have moved to places like Instagram, which are more accessible maybe, but they're harder to keep track of. So I hope we can keep a lot of these conversations on message boards so everything's a little more linear and a little more searchable for future hobby enthusiasts. Because at some point, you know, we're going to be gone whether it be just from the hobby or just gone. Um, and you know, people need to know the history of this card. There's no blockchain that goes with each card. Number two, second takeaway. If you screw up, own up to it. doesn't mean people will forgive you. doesn't mean your admission will absolve you of all consequences, but if you do something dumb, own up to it and do what you can to make it right. Um and then number 3, I think a lot of good people have worked together to try and prevent this stuff from happening. I think a lot less RPAs are being tampered with than they used to. Um I think there's certainly some shady things that are still going on behind the scenes, but now that so many eyes are watching, it's also likely that more of these things are going to be moved in person. So if you're going to any of these big shows this summer or, you know, throughout the rest of the year, maybe the National, right? Be careful that's not to say that everyone's going to be selling fake patches or trimmed cards, but I think they're more likely to move them in person where there's less eyes on them and there's less of a trail. All right, there you have it. That was one of the wildest hobby stories I remember from the last couple years. I hope you enjoyed it. More importantly, I hope you learned from it Maybe there was something I said today that resonated with you, whether it be it about the card show or be it about this story with the RPA. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at wax museum podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at wax museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. This is very simple before you go to purchase or bid on an item, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. It's a simple way to support the show, but if multiple people do that, it really helps me out. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com.